Presented by Mike, the big I mean, it's an amazing record. I mean, I go back with the band from the beginning, from the demo tape days, even before they were called Flats and the Jets and you even in it. So to see you guys still going, I mean, and when you came back to the band about 10 or 11 years ago, I couldn't have been more happy. And the output since then has just been incredible. Ah, thanks, man. Yeah, it was weird when I was gone. It's like, uh, you know, I had some things I was doing, but holy shit. I, you can't it's like a drug playing guitar playing music it's just you know i you can't put it on a shelf and go okay i'm done you know it's got to run its course yeah i can imagine when when you did come back to the band all those years ago now was it like you know going home again did you feel like you know, i could just step back into where i was or did you kind of have to feel your way around to see like what was going on with the other guys that were in the band at the time with ak or was it just you know everything was like back to the way it used to be uh n- no i mean I didn't re- leave the band because of uh, the members if, or for anybody uh, other than like management. You know, that was what my issue was back then. But when I came back, it, it felt good because, you know, it was AK calling me going, dude, uh, we've got a we've got a festival coming up. And, and it was uh, the Bang Your Head Festival at the time. And he's like, um, Ed can't do it. So would you would you play with Mark? I come back and play that show. And then ever since I came, I did that show with them. Uh, I was like, yeah, I, I, I can't not do this. I have to. <laughs> so it's just been uh, uh, all downhill from there. <laughs> <laughs> if you say so. But, yeah, I, I'm glad you're back in there. And, you know, it's funny. From interviewing so many bands over the years and you're like, oh, did you guys have a fight? You didn't get along. You know, why'd you break up? Why'd you leave the band? 90% of the time, it's the answer you just gave. We had problems with management. We had problems with the label. It was the business aspect of it that really tore more bands apart than, like, you know, just the fighting between members. Yeah, uh, totally. And, and and they understood too. Kelly left at the same time I did, and the same kind of things. And and that record that they, you know, I was on it, but I didn't want to be that the high record. Um, yeah. That was like done by one of the management. Uh, they wanted to call it that, and I was like, you know, I'm, and it was cheesy. The artwork was cheesy on it, and I was like, fuck this. <laughs> you know, what do you guys want to do? Do you guys want to get rid of the management, or I'm gonna walk? And, you know, they wanted to continue. So I was like, okay, I'm going to take a break. Nothing personal, guys. (laughs) I get it. But when you came back, you came back strong, in my opinion. I mean, you know, when Ugly Noise came out, I I didn't know what to make of it. It took me a while. I guess I was harking back to the old days, you know, a little bit of no place and stuff like that. But after I started playing it and after some time went by and I got into it, it, to me, it was an experimental record. It was all over the place, but it really works if you put the time into listening to it. I mean, was this stuff like done before you got involved with the band again or was it done when you got back in? Uh, it, it was actually stuff that I was creating when I was out of the band. And, uh, you know, I was trying to hook up with Newstead again because he wasn't he wasn't really doing anything. Uh, uh, he had his Newstead metal thing going on. But I think that was kind of my, my timeline might be all fucked up. But that was kind of, uh, uh, you know, he, he, he was going to come back to the band at that point and play in Flotsam. And, uh, you know, I don't know what happened. Just the planets didn't align. But, uh, you know, he came and did a couple rehearsals with us and we wrote a few tunes. And, and that, that's how that all kind of sparked. I, you know, I thought we were going to go back to 1986 and it was going to be the original lineup. If we do a tour like that would have been really cool. But. I'm glad that it didn't because, you know, Jason's got his own thing going on and his, his new stead metal and his his acoustic stuff. But the chemistry in the band right now with our new guy, Bill Bodily, is just and 
insane. You know, it's even better when you like call people friends and they really are your friends and like you can hang out and, and, uh, you know, it's just a lot better. I've been, I've, I've been in the band when it was, you know, there's a tension that sucks. There's no fun in that, but yeah, well, well, Bill's been in the band a little while now. Unfortunately, you know, he got caught up in the whole pandemic thing and really hasn't gotten the chance to shine. But not long before that, Ken Mary comes into the band. And I'm like, you know, I know Ken from Fifth Angel, you know, Night Fury. I, I can't accept he played with everybody, mm-hmm. Ken Mary. But I'm like, I don't know about Flotsam. I mean, you know, he's a great drummer, but that's a whole nother level of intensity. And man, when he stepped in, he blew me away. Absolutely. And on the last two records, holy shit. Yeah, we were just going to have him come in and do a tour with us at first. And uh, Steve brought him in. You know, Steve's like, hey, we, you know, I work with, with Ken. Um, here's a video of him playing, uh, I think it was Hammerhead or something like that. And I was just like, really? Okay. You know, if he, he all right. So I did one rehearsal with him after that. And it was like, fucking A, this guy's got to be in the band. <laughs> this guy's killer. And he's a great songwriter. He's a funny dude. And again, I can't emphasize like the the uh, chemistry that we have, you know, it just really works well. Yeah, you can hear it on the record, you know, I mean, Blood in the Water, I mean, I thought the last record, End of Cast, was one of the most intense records you guys ever put out. This record just picks up where that left off. I mean, you guys didn't lose nothing in between. I mean, as far as songwriting goes today, I mean, do you feel there's less pressure on you than back in the 80s when, you you know, you're on a lecture and then MCA and you know the labels, they get their claws around you to get involved and it just screws up a band completely sometimes, even the best of bands. I mean, do you feel like that pressure is off you now when it come, comes down to the songwriting, you're more open to do what you want to do? No, actually, I feel more pressured because wow. now it's the, um, like the labels, did, then they didn't know what the fuck to do with a metal band, you know. Uh, Metallica came out and it was it exploded, you know. So they they thought all these metal bands they wouldn't have to do anything for, you know. It was just going to happen like uh, organically, like uh, Metallica did. But it wasn't the case. So then you had people that didn't they weren't fans of the music, but they were working your record, you know. That's like that just sounds uh, crazy to me, you know. I mean, you want people that. Um, that connect with what you do, you know, not somebody that's like, Oh, this is just my job, you know, fuck this, whatever, you know, and I don't know if that was always the case. We always had Michael Alago on our side and he like, man, he was a huge fan and our liaison with the record labels, but I don't, I don't know, you know, how he sold it to the, um, uh, you know, to the, I, I guess the business of it, you know? So, it's not metal's not for everybody. I understand that, but uh, going back to your question, I I didn't care about what the record labels thought back then because I thought there there was a disconnect. Uh, yeah. So, but there's a connection with the fans, and if you disappoint them, I mean that's you know you're done. You'd be working at Circle K. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I would have thought like the pressure would have been relieved where you feel like now you can record what you want. If you want to experiment a little bit now, do what you want. There should be no pressure on you. But I guess the, I guess the, just to succeed what you did the last time puts enough on you to try to outdo yourself from album to album. Yeah, we, we thought about that. Like when Chaos came out and we we're like, shit, how are we going to top this? You know, we, we were all super proud of it. And uh, then we wrote this thing. We got it back and uh, from mix and mastering. And we're like, holy shit, I think we actually did it. You know, high five, guys. And uh, this is the first record 
and I, I'm totally weird about it too. Like I never listen to our, like, I never go back and listen to our records when we're done. And unless I forget a part and I have to go back and relearn something, you know, I'll listen to it. But this record, I've listened to it probably 15 or 20 times, you know, since uh, just in the last couple of weeks. And I'm like, man, I'm, I'm proud. I'm super proud of the guys in my band. I'm super proud of, of, of how it came out. Yeah, you know, when you're in the studio and you're and you're working on these songs, you're putting them together, you're tinkering and everything, you know, I, I know you can't possibly know what the end product is going to be, you know, when you, like I said, you listen to the final mix of it, but do you ever start working on a song right off the bat and say, you know what, this one's going to be the one, this is the one that's going to take us to the next level, this is going to be the one that sets the tone for the record, or is it kind of hard to hear when you're, like, that involved in it in the very beginning stages of the recording? Well, some songs, uh, that's, a, that's a great question, because some songs, like, kind of write themselves, and it's really weird how that works. You know, like you get uh, you write like a, a main riff, a verse and then a chorus. And then it's really easy to find something that follows that if you have uh, like really congruent parts in the song. It's, it, you know, and it's, it doesn't always work like that. There's maybe been four or five in my career that song of songs that wrote themselves like Suffer the Masses off the third record. Uh, that was one that riff, you know, it just was everything that came after it when writing it uh, happened naturally uh, play your part off of ugly noise. Same thing with that. You know, it's like it pretty much wrote itself. And uh, there's a, there's a ballad on the new one, blood in the water. Uh, Cry for the dead did the same thing, you know, it just kind of wrote itself, which is, I like that. Yeah. Do you still have that riff from like the 80s that you said, I'll find a place for sooner or later? You just couldn't get rid of it. You loved it so much, but yet you still can't find the place to put it. I do have one of those. It's funny you ask that question. And it's it's a crazy riff. And um, we all, I always used to play it like whenever we were all, we would all get together uh, way back in the day. We'd get together in this rehearsal room and and we'd be writing stuff. And then we'd come to that point where what do we put on in this part? And I would be like, always, always. It was just the, the dumbest, funniest riff. And it would just take the attention uh, out of, you know, uh, out of what we're doing, make us all laugh. So, yeah. but I still want to use that riff. I still want to use it. <laughs> there's always that one. And then there's the one where, you know, you just, no matter how much you tinker with, you just can't get it right. And you got to throw it away. I mean, I'm sure you had a million of those over the years. Oh yeah. You know, you, you have an idea, you know, every song starts with a vision and you know what you, you think it's going to sound like this. And then you end up writing something that sounds like that. And it's like, Oh, this is crap. You know, I, I won't even send it to the guys. I'll just be like, Oh, this is, a, this is you know, taking up space on my disc. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. These days, is it more of a group effort as far as songwriting goes between you, AK and everybody else in the band? Uh, oh yeah totally it, it's almost like an assembly line you know we start uh, usually Steve or I will come up with the riffs and we'll give AK like a, a structured song to, to work with and then when he starts adding lyrics to it him and Ken work together on building that part of it and they either get back with us sometimes Ken will take my uh, my projects and, and cut a bunch of stuff up and send it back to me and go here's what I did and he makes it 10 times better you know because He's got an ear. Any outside ear is better than if you're sitting and working in front of your computer and you just have this vision, but it, the uh, outside ear of that is just going to make it more powerful. If it, you know, if they can hear changes that you should have made during your bubble time in creation. Yeah. Did I make it? 
Did I make any sense? Was my grammar no, okay? Ab- no, absolutely. Because <laughs> I, I, I was going to say, you know, as a musician, as an artist, you know, when you create something, you know, it's kind of hard to turn it over to somebody else and then have them critique it or tinker with it or change it. But I guess the best artists and the best musicians are the ones that are open and willing to do that because it would make the song better. But is that something you have to learn to like adjust to? Or is it easy for you to just say, yeah, here's what I came up with. You know, what can you do with it? Where can, where can we go with this? Yeah, you know, it took us a long time. Uh, when I first started writing in Flotsam, I was kind of like that. And so were the rest of the guys, you know, are real, real firm on what, oh, you know, it's my idea. We, we can't change it. But it, that's such a block and it, it it's actually hurtful, you know. Oh, did I lose you? No, I'm still here. Uh-oh. What's going on with Captain? Are you, you calling? The next guy calling for an interview. <laughs> I don't, know, I don't know. That's weird. Yeah. What's this? You? Okay. All right. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> so yeah. Let me mute this. So um, yeah, you know, we used to be real firm on that, but it, it's such a block for um, your songwriting process because it, you know, you're just you're eliminating avenues, you know, like correct avenues to to write a good tune. And uh, that does more damage than anything, you know. But over the years, five people work better than just one. You know, we've all realized that. So. Yeah, well, I'm sure a lot of it is to being young too. You know, when when you're young and you come up with something and somebody says, "Hey, I don't like where we're going with that," it's easy to throw the microphone and the guitar on the floor and walk away. But as you get older, you know, you have to be more open to it, and it shows in the music. You know, when you listen to it today. Yeah. And that's a beautiful thing. I mean, I know like the last year and a half has been hard on every band. I mean, it seemed like the scene was just really starting to pick up again. You know, bands were selling out shows again, packing in the in the clubs and the venues. Then, you know, this coronavirus came and it shut everybody down. I mean, are you able to like start planning now is it, or is it still too early for the band to start making arrangements or plans like going out on the road and touring? Because that's really where you're making your money today and you want to get out there and do that. Yeah, um, everything's starting to open back up. We're starting to schedule shows. Uh, we had a hiccup with our uh, our booking agent, but we just signed with Continental Booking Agency, and seem, it seems like the the tour opportunities are really starting to open up for us. We got Accept coming up in uh, uh, January of next year, and the festivals in Europe uh, as well, and hopefully we're going to get a U.S. tour in on that too. Oh, that'd be fantastic. I mean, I know right now, like, you know, I'm in, I'm in New York right now, so we're at a limited capacity for everything. So a lot of clubs, you know, I, they just can't open up. It's just not financially feasible for them to open up for 30 people to come, even though most of the shows before <laughs> 30 people anyway on any given night. But they just say they can't do it right now. So, I mean, is it better to wait till there's 100% capacity again, or at least we can guarantee you can go out there and perform, make enough money to keep going and continue? Is that what the, what the goal is to wait for? Uh, yeah, the goal is to wait for the, the safety, you know, we want to be safe, uh, we want people to come to the shows, but we also, uh, we, we want everybody to return to the next show that we, we have, you know, so, um, we'll comply with anything, you know, I'm not a big vaccination guy, uh, I, I, I already had COVID back in, in January, so I don't know if I need a vaccination, but they're going to try to make me have one, right? That's a government. And, yeah, and I guess I'll do it if, if means uh, I get to play shows, you know. 
Yeah, hopefully it won't come down to that. We'll see what happens. But I can't wait for you guys to get back out on the road. I mean, this is such an amazing record. And as great as records are, and I love listening to them and buying them, nothing beats a live show. Nothing comes close to the intensity you get from watching a band up on stage performing. Oh, yeah, totally. Uh, I'm the same way. I'm, I fanboy out on that, too. Like, I, I love going to shows and seeing bands. Uh, I love performing. But my roots are, like, going to see uh, Metallica, going to see King and uh, you know i love i love yeah. watching concerts so it's a great thing you know mike when you go back to the beginning of the band and up until now i mean so many changes have taken place you know in the music business alone just going from you know wreckage and cds to downloads and nobody buying anything almost like full circle back to vinyl coming back again people buying you know records uh, you know you've seen the business model go up and down it was you know heavy metal power metal hair metal thrash metal death metal everything changed new metal i mean what is it like being in a band trying to keep up with everything going on around you i mean do you see the changes coming and try to adapt you just kind of say you know what we got to hold course and maybe eventually we'll come back around again hold course is perfectly said uh metal is totally cycled back around it was for a while there, if you had pointy guitars, you know, people wouldn't even pay attention to you. Yeah. And now, now you don't have pointy guitars. I'm not talking about flying V's and, and, uh, like the, the old metal stuff, it, it seems to have recycled back around. And this time if it does that, it's like picking up, uh, more momentum and more fans. And, you know, I see, I see young kids at our shows and I see old, you know, people that are old as us you know or whatever so it's true you know back in the early 80s i don't know if anybody ever saw like you know heavy metal in the scene exploding like it did it was always an underground thing nobody ever thought like a band like metallic we could sign to a major label and become who they are now nobody knew flansman jess will still be putting out music almost 40 years later i mean when you first got into it was it just like you know just like, just like make music get up on stage play get laid you know get drunk meet girls <laughs> or was it like from the beginning a, a business thing to you where you say you know what if we do this right you know we can make money make a career out of it and, and this is what we could do for the rest of our lives it was an ace freely thing for me i wanted to do all things <laughs> freely and uh yeah and then when i when i was in high school i noticed uh there was some benefits to, to playing guitar i mean now it's a curse if you have if you tell someone hey i'm a guitar player you know, they're, oh, oh, wow, you know, everybody's a guitar player. But back then, you know, you're a guitar player, you were kind of the big shit in school. So. That's true. The guitar player and the singer. Poor bass players and drummers, <laughs> which is me. We never got any respect. Nobody cared about us. We were just in the background. <laughs> oh, I always have that, uh, that meme, you know, with like the keyboard player where they have, it shows the drummer with like five girls and then the, the guitar yeah. player with two, the singer with ten, and then than the keyboardist is with a guy. <laughs> <laughs> That's the way it goes. Hey, Mike, I'm not going to keep it. I know you got a whole day of these things to do, and it, but it's been great talking to you, man. But Blood in the Water, what an amazing record. I, I'm already looking forward to the next one, and this one's just starting to come out. So you got a lot of work ahead of you. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for taking the time and, and, and speaking with me. I appreciate it. It's my pleasure, Mike. I can't wait to see you back out on tour next time you're in the New York area. I'll see you guys live. Okay, sounds great. We'll talk to you then. You got it, my friend. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay.